the hill that would see them in their misdeed and pull them over. There just was this intrinsic sense of, I hope they get it, and they, they never did. But I think deep within all of us, there is this hope that wrongdoers will be seen and receive the justice they deserve. And that desire is put there by God. We long for there to be justice. Friends, we need to know that nothing is hidden from the gaze of God. Just because we don't see everything being made right right now does not mean that God is asleep at the wheel or justice will not come. The psalm tells us he sees all mankind and God will bring to account injustice. This reality uh, strengthened many people, um, uh, people like Martin Luther King Jr., who as he uh, worked to bring about a more just society, he was motivated by this reality of God's eternal justice. I mean, in one of his most famous quotes, he said this, we shall overcome because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. That yes, justice seems like a long time coming, but because there's a God who is just, who sees all, justice is coming. So it's not a question of if, but when? That really changes how we relate to uh, wrong systems. If we think it's a question of if, we will take matters into our own hands. But if it's a question of when, then we can wait and trust and pray. Friends, nothing is hidden from the gaze of God. He sees all, and he will bring perfect justice in his time. So remember, God's words are true, loving, and powerful. God's purposes prevail, and God's justice will come. We rejoice in these things. Now, we go for the home stretch, all right? Last two questions. First, why do we need to remember these things about God's good rule while living in a broken world? You know, why bother reciting this? Why is a song written about it? And this song, Psalm 33, is sung all the time. So, so why bother reciting these truths and singing these truths? Two reasons. First, there's a tension. There's a tension. God's good rule exists, but so does human brokenness. Uh, we sang a lot about that today, about our Father who's made this whole beautiful world. God is the ruler yet in a world that is off so wrong, right? We live in the middle of a broken world. There's a tension here between God's good rule and our sinful, broken world. And our attention is naturally pulled toward the brokenness. That's just where we tend to go. Now, Israel is prone to forget God's good rule in between their deliverance from Egypt and their establishment in the land. And we are tempted to forget, too, in between our day of salvation and Christ's eventual return. We live in between. And during the in-between time, we have to remember that God is the ruler of all, even though we don't see all that reality. There's a tension here. And because there's a tension, secondly, there's a temptation. You know, a tension wants to be resolved, right? If you have a rubber band, uh, it's hard for it to stay in that state. It wants to either snap or contract. Tension produces the desire for action. So what do we do in the tension that we live in in this world? Well, the temptation here, uh, the psalmist refers to in verses 16 through 17. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, 
It cannot save. Because of the tension of living in a broken world, we are tempted to put our trust in earthly rulers, in worldly saviors, and in worldly weapons. That's why the psalmist has to remind us that no king is saved by the size of his army. Because it sure looks like it. Uh, No warrior escapes by his great strength. Really? Human rulers and human weapons seem to rule the day. From a human perspective, it sure seems that the might of a king, the strength of an army, the political savvy of a president are the key ingredients for a nation's success and well-being. But God has a very different perspective than we do. Psalm 143, verse 3, we're told uh, explicitly, do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. Human beings cannot save. God showed Israel this truth time and time again. I mean, their first king, King Saul, outwardly looked like this strong, powerful ruler. He was a head taller than everybody else. And people were tempted to put their hopes in him, but God said, nope, he's not the man after my own heart. And he brings about this kid, David. In comparison, Saul Saul sure seemed far greater. But it was David that God's hand was upon we see this played out through the prophet, uh, through the judge Gideon. I mean, Gideon is this inconsequential uh, guy from a, a little small tribe, and God raises him up to deliver Israel. The point being, I can even work through a guy like him. It's not outward might that God is interested in. The temptation for us to put our trust in earthly rulers is no less, right? And we're tempted to do this too. I mean, the last election cycle revealed once again the tendency to put our hopes in earthly rulers and in human power. And that story plays out every four years. Every four years. We must remember that regardless of who is in the Oval Office, God is on his throne. His kingdom can advance in our country regardless of which political party has the power. And we must not believe the lie that the kingdom of God advances through worldly means. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Friends, this temptation is great, so we must constantly remind each other of God's good rule while living in the tension of a broken world so that we don't give in or or lose heart or put our trust in worldly princes who cannot save. Which leads us to our final question. How do we remember that? If the temptation is that great, and we see all around us all the time, just the, the temptation to put our trust in worldly rulers, how can we remember this truth while living in a broken world? And I feel a little bit like a a one-trick pony, because my application today, I think, is the same as the last time I I preached. But but this is where the text goes. Uh, Verses 1 through 3 tell us, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. Uh, It's funny, of all the things it says to do, it makes so much of singing joyfully. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. Verse 3, sing to him a new song. Play skillfully. Shout for joy. The psalmist wants our hearts to be captivated by God's rule, by God's reign, to remember what he has done to deliver so that our, our hearts long for him, that our trust is in him. So according to scripture, singing is not just ambiance or good mood music. Joyful singing is an essential part of spiritual warfare. Joyful singing 
is how we remind ourselves of what is actually true. When the world wants us to live in fear and cynicism, we respond with joy. Uh, the first song we sang today actually had these very, uh, this, very fr- this very idea in it, that, that ever singing, march we onward, victors in the midst of strife. It doesn't look like we're victors, but we sing joyfully because we know that's true. The scriptures tell us what's true, and as we sing it, we begin to really believe it. And our hearts begin to grab hold of these truths. So, what are we to sing? Specifically, verse 3 says, sing a new song. Sing to him a new song. Now, on one hand, the author is reminding us that every generation needs to be creating new music because there's always new acts of deliverance. God is saving more and more people, and we, we sing praise to him. But I don't think that's the main thrust of this passage. I think there's more going on here in the new song. I think the psalmist is pointing us to the ultimate song. Revelation 5, verse 9, we get a glimpse into the throne room of heaven. We see Jesus, seen as the lamb who was slain, now standing in the center of the throne. And we get to hear the song that is being sung in heaven. And it says this, They sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. This is the new song to which all other songs have been pointing. All our hope and longing for a good king, for a ruler who is just and true and loving and righteous, is found in Jesus Christ. That what, what these people are singing is, I can't believe it, this is who gets to rule the world. The one who heals disease, the one who loves the widow and the oppressed, the one who gave up everything to come and die for us, he is Lord of all. And you see the euphoria that people have when their, when their uh, candidate gets elected. What we're saying here is there is no one better than Jesus, and he is over all forever. When we remind ourselves of that truth, we have not only great excitement, we also have great hope as we engage in the broken systems of the world. We get to not only sing songs to comfort us, we get to sing songs to inspire us to action. So, as we uh, lean into the days ahead, as another election cycle begins to ramp up, we need to sing this song. We need to remind ourselves of who is on the throne and where our hope really lies. Will you join me in prayer?